America has a long and vibrant history with excess. Leisurely activities and relaxation is no exception. The topic of this episode is the city of Palm Springs, a desert oasis in the Mojave Desert of California. Palm Springs, at its apex, was considered the playground of the stars. As author Howard Johns writes, quote, For here, in this protected Garden of Eden, dwell numerous citizens whose names are as familiar to the general public as items in the Sears catalog, end quote. In its tumultuous history, Palm Springs has had many reputations, and it has been the butt of many jokes. It's been called the Citadel of Organized Crime. It's ridiculed for the influx of hipsters and misguided rich youth flocking in the spring for Coachella. Comedians refer to it as the Gay 90s, since they claim everyone there is either gay or 90. But this land of 5,000 sapphire pools shines as a beacon of pure America, and the mid-century homes that reside there stand as relics to a golden age, as many see it. Was this really a golden age? If so, who for? Is there any deeper meaning or identity behind these superficial white structures and the reputation for booze and sex-fueled parties under the desert sun? As with anything worth looking into, the answer is it's complicated. Nostalgia, like any other drug, gives you a pleasurable high, but can do some serious damage when you break down the ingredients. Welcome to DeLorean Nights, a podcast that travels back in time on a road trip across America. Join us as we explore unique destinations and navigate the amazing stories, people, and events that came to define them. Old Blue Eyes, The Voice, Sinatra, The Sultan of Swoon. For the average teenage girl, he was irresistible. The first heartthrob thrust upon the youth of America. His beautiful blue eyes and movie star looks were a perfect complement to his tough-talking New Jersey personality. And he only got better looking with age. Even for the starlets of Hollywood, he was a catch. But Ava Gardner was no typical starlet. She was Hollywood's go-to femme fatale during the heyday of film noir. For the golden age of Hollywood, Ava's star power and seductive presence smoldered with an exceptional energy. She had an impressive list of lovers under her belt, including such elites as Howard Hughes, Artie Shaw, and Mickey Rooney, the latter two of whom she married. Swoonatra, as his less popular nickname went, had a rap sheet of his own. It was a list that went on forever. He may have been Hollywood's top playboy in its golden age. Marriage and children never stopped his flirtatious and womanizing ways. They were merely inconveniences along a road of booze, parties, and hedonism that was prevalent during Sinatra's reign. Gardner and Sinatra had been circling each other for years. Or more accurately, Sinatra had pursued her for years. But she had rejected his pursuits from advancing past the typical flirtations. At each point in their encounters, one of them or both of them were married. Not that it mattered to Sinatra. 
However, the stars aligned in the desert sky on an autumn night in Palm Springs, 1949. Her latest marriage with Artie Shaw had ended. Sinatra and Nancy, he insisted, were finished. They weren't. As they canoodled at the party, Sinatra suggested that they go for a joyride in his Cadillac convertible. After all, it was the perfect night in the desert breeze. It always was in Palm Springs. As Bailey and Hemingway described the scene, quote, Gardner grabbed the fifth of whatever for the road, while Sinatra, quite famously, had a predilection for Jack Daniels. They sped off into the desert night, swigging all the way. At some point in a nearby town, they pulled over and began to kiss. The drinking, kissing, and cruising continued through the emptying, winding streets of the desert. As if drinking and joyriding weren't illegal enough, Sinatra pulled two handguns out of his glove compartment. Wouldn't it be fun to unload a few rounds as they cruised along the street? Streetlights, store windows, and any and all objects became targets on this joyride. As you can imagine, the ride ended at the police station. Before the days of social media, cell phone cameras, and TMZ, the rich and famous could get away with a lot more. You could pay off the right people, maintain good relations with the press, and you could sweep most things under the rug. Even the police were forgiving. They had no interest in destroying the reputation of a Hollywood elite, even a married one that was drunkenly cruising the desert and discharging his firearms along with a woman that was not his wife. Sinatra's publicist worked his magic, and the two were released without any further incident. When Gardner got back to Palm Springs the next morning, her sister anxiously asked about her night with Sinatra. Her response was brief. We had a wonderful time, she said. Australian photographer Tom Blatchford created an amazing photography series called Midnight Modern. Over the course of five full moons, he wandered the landscapes of Palm Springs to capture stunning images of the famous architecture under the moonlight. Quote, Both nostalgic and original scenes exist simultaneously between the past and present, like portals through time. End quote. The evocative results enticed Blatchford to revisit Palm Springs for five full moons over the course of three years. He called it, quote, a pilgrimage to the desert to pay homage to the Shrines of Hedonism. Shrines of Hedonism. I was originally put off by that quote. Hedonism is a very negative connotation, and I didn't appreciate such a term attached to Palm Springs, a place I personally find wondrous. The homes within this area provide the best example of mid-century modern architecture. We'll come back to the architecture in a little while. The story of Palm Springs begins as many stories do, in Hollywood. I read that without Hollywood, there would be no Palm Springs. As Howard Johns writes, Palm Springs, quote, became the ideal place for carloads of movie stars to rest. Relative isolation helping satisfy their increasingly obsessive need for privacy. End quote. The reason Palm Springs became the playground for the stars was its location relative to Hollywood. Back when actors and actresses had exclusive contracts with studios, they were obligated to remain within two hours of the lots. 
Palm Springs happened to be right on the edge of this boundary, so they naturally flocked there. Open most books on tourism regarding Palm Springs, and the star power is overwhelming. The cult of celebrity permeates through everything with an unavoidable stench. Anyone in the movie business in the past 50 years that lived here is on a map. Thumbing through the books will provide the juicy to mundane details of any star that did anything here. If you had any level of fame, every kiss, party, and misdemeanor that may have occurred in Palm Springs is written about. Sifting through pages and pages of these books, the guest lists are unfathomable. Titans of music in Hollywood during the mid-century all have strong history in Palm Springs. Presidents, dignitaries, actors, musicians, a painting monkey, all of them cut loose in the desert at one point or another. The musical chairs of affairs and hookups between the celebrities could fill up soap opera scripts for years and years. A famous place called the Sunnyside Estates would have a legendary New Year's Eve party. It was said that one party-goer observed the room, noticing several former presidents and Hollywood forefathers. She turned to her date and proclaimed, I guess the party can start. All of the streets are here. What I think of when I first hear Palm Springs is the houses. Glass and white box structures with pristine blue pools litter the landscape. Imagine this pool in your head. You've been to one of these in a fantasy before, or at least seen one in a movie or television show. Beautiful people in a beautiful home, lounging around a pool and soaking up the sun. The drinks are cold. To your left, models and actresses. To your right, comedians and agents making deals. The cigar and cigarette smoke is pleasurable outside, and it doesn't suffocate the room. Everyone is laughing and enjoying their time. This is Palm Springs, as it was, is, and will always be remembered. Swimming pools are everywhere. Probably one out of every three homes has its own private pool, and the tiled patio beside the pool becomes the family living room. When you look down on the village from the air, the shining blue pools seem to be everywhere. And well, they should. There are almost a thousand of them here, both private and public. More pools for the number of residents than anywhere else in the world. And all of the scenery in Palm Springs is not in the mountains and deserts. It's with these iconic homes and the mid-century architecture where we begin our tale. The story is a bit scattered as we'll move from star to star as our paths crossed in Palm Springs. Being the playground of the stars, titans of film, music, and even presidents would rub elbows and often more than elbows. As we mentioned before, during the golden age of Hollywood, when the studios ruled town, the A-list stars were restricted by their contracts. They had to be within 100 miles of the studio lots in LA in case they were required for reshoots, press events, or anything else an actor would be needed for. At the edge of this distance was Palm Springs, and it was under this scorching desert sun that they sought to escape the even hotter spotlight of fame. So we now have a buzz about Palm Springs, a cool cachet, a reputation as the playground for the stars. What we also had was an emerging middle class, eager to spend their hard-earned money, Throw in the emergence of consumerism and mass marketing coming to prominence. America had come out of World War II with flying colors. The suburbs were thriving. 
the middle-class families were falling over themselves to buy their piece of the American dream. Builders searched for ways to construct homes faster and cheaper. Everyone wanted to own a home, or another home to get away from their first home and relax. There was no better place for this than Palm Springs, California. This is where the Alexanders came in. George and Bob Alexander specifically. This father-son combo were builders, and in 1957, they moved on a hunch that Palm Springs was primed for a real estate explosion. The Alexanders had had some success building modern homes in mass, that is purchasing a plot of land and building several similar homes simultaneously. These modern homes, with their emphasis on ample windows, open layouts, and a minimalist aesthetic, could be built cheap and fast. Even planes, clean lines, and angular structures characterize the exteriors of these houses. The Alexander's go-to architect, William Kreisel, made the butterfly roof a calling card for Palm Springs homes. This roof, as you can imagine it, is the inversion of a typical slanting roof. In a butterfly roof, the two roof surfaces slope down from opposing edges to a valley near the middle of the roof. The team of Chrysler designing the homes and the Alexanders building them was a match made in heaven. Together, they built approximately 2,500 homes in Palm Springs throughout the 1950s, effectively doubling its population. The Alexander Construction Company had a marketing tag, quote, designed by architects, built by master builders for permanent value, end quote. To this day, these homes are commonly referred to as simply Alexander's. After building homes for pretty much an entire generation of middle-class residents, they moved on to hotels and elegant homes for the stars, including our man Frank Sinatra and his famous Twin Palms estates with a piano-shaped pool. Bob Alexander and his beautiful wife Helene had become legendary figures and were beloved within the elite social circles of Palm Springs. Journalist Dave Weinstein writes, Bob loved Palm Springs' social whirl, but it was Helene who planned wonderful and imaginative parties, often with guests in costume. They invited stars, Barbara Sinatra, Dinah Shore, as well as their mailman and the guys who cleaned their pool. During their annual desert circus, when people dressed up like cowboys, rode through town on horses, and arrested and fined anyone not in costume to raise funds for charity, Bob and Helene were front and center. Everyone wanted to be Helene and Bob's friend. They followed whatever they planned or did. Bob drove a Jaguar convertible and a Honda motorcycle. They did a lot of dune buggying together. He was definitely a kid at heart. But in his quieter moments, Bob constructed model airplanes, which he displayed in town at Uncle Don's Toys. Bob and Helene were also owners of the Racket Club, a posh clubhouse with tennis courts and a pool that was known for its raucous parties and a who's who's guest list. This was a place that you could, and tabloid lovers and historians often do, play a game of sexual telephone by connecting a seemingly limitless number of stars through their trysts. Look Magazine ran a feature story about the king and queen of Palm Springs. It noted Bob's penchant for horseback riding and water skiing on the Salton Sea. He called the endless party scene in Palm Springs undulating. 
Helene was noted to soak in $2 worth of bubble bath every day and spent her afternoons at the racket club to tone her legs. She confessed to never being without makeup. In 1960, Bob built a dream house for his family. The king and queen of Palm Springs now had their own castle. The residence was dubbed the House of Tomorrow. This modern house was designed in four perfect circles on three separate levels, incorporating glass and peanut brittle stonework to allow for indoor-outdoor living. The estate had capacity to entertain up to 180 people. Now there's no way of knowing this for sure, but it was reported that the first rain to ever hit the house occurred on a November afternoon in 1965. It was an ominous sign. Later in the day, Palm Springs residents reported seeing a small plane strike the picturesque mountain backdrop. They saw a, quote, flash of bright light and a ball of fire rolling uphill, followed by a bright orange flash that flared against the growing darkness, end quote. Everyone aboard that plane was killed instantly. The passengers, almost the entire Alexander family, Bob, Helene, his father George, and his mother Jimmy. In a flash, the first family of Palm Springs was gone, and an era was over. As builders, the fingerprints of the Alexander family remained despite their untimely departure, and his crown jewel, the House of Tomorrow, would soon get a new resident, a king in his own right. Not of Palm Springs necessarily, but of rock and roll. Elvis Presley's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, was a resident of Palm Springs and a neighbor of the Alexanders. He thought it would be the perfect place for the king to kick back and relax, for him to entertain friends and escape the overbearing spotlight of Hollywood. Not just the king of rock and roll at the time, Elvis was a movie star as well. He signed a year lease at the House of Tomorrow. And he did entertain friends, and more than friends as well as his fiancée Priscilla soon came to visit. Since no one is ever fully safe from the prying eyes of the paparazzi, a famous gossip columnist, Rona Barrett, also a neighbor, soon took notice of the happenings. She spied on the house and even had the maid followed. She determined that Elvis and Priscilla intended to be married in Palm Springs and ran with the story. The press descended on the house in waves. The attendance and media circus was too much to handle. Elvis and Priscilla needed to be smuggled out of their own home in order to get married. To the rescue came Elvis's buddy, Frank Sinatra. At 3 a.m. on the day of the wedding, Elvis and Priscilla snuck out the back door of their house. They passed the pool through a lesser known path to a back alley. Awaiting them was Sinatra's limo. They rushed to the airport aboard Sinatra's private Learjet to Vegas, where the real wedding was held. They flew back to Palm Springs that day to begin their honeymoon. I wish we could say they lived happily ever after, but the truth is they divorced five years later, with several omitted affairs in between. I guess considering who they were, beautiful and famous people often apart and constantly desired by fans and anyone they came to interact with, five years can be considered an eternity. So, after one last cooling dip in the tennis club pool, we're off to Charles Farrell's Racquet Club to watch one of Palm Springs' most popular sports and to meet Gino, who had suggested we lunch at her favorite sidewalk cafe. 
the racket club would be an autograph hunter's paradise. So many stars play on the courts here. But in Palm Springs, autograph hunting seems forgotten. This is home to many of the stars, and they're just plain folks along with their neighbors. So whether you spot William Powell and Charlie Farrell in a fast match at the club, or pass Eddie Cantor out for a morning walk on the street, you probably just smile, say howdy, and walk on. Yes, tennis is a popular sport at Palm Springs, and they start the game young here. So once again, Frank Sinatra comes into play as we weave through the history of Palm Springs. He guides us on the journey and reappears throughout the narrative. Through these continuous parties, he serves as a guide, an Obi-Wan Kenobi of the desert oasis. The man who put Vegas on the map still called Palm Springs his home. And his influence went beyond chauffeuring his famous friends in and out of parties and hosting legendary nights of booze and debauchery. Getting a king married was small potatoes. He made kings in Palm Springs, or rather helped get them elected. Kings that ruled our country and changed the course of history. North Jersey born and raised, Sinatra was well known for his ties with the mob. Guys he grew up with, palled around with. Do a favor for him, he'll do a favor for you. Frank took care of his own, and if you were in with Frank, you were in for life. He'd go out of his way to stick up for any of his friends, Italians or not. That's what made him so magnetic. One of Frank's buddies, a fellow handsome young man that shared his interest in girls, booze, and all of the other vices that go with it, was a young war hero and senator from Massachusetts. Yes, Jack Kennedy and Frank Sinatra were close. JFK's sister was married to Rat Packer Peter Lawford. The two were so close that Jack's dad asked Frank for a favor, and Frank felt compelled to oblige. In fact, he was more than happy to oblige, and he asked for nothing in return. No big deal. What was the favor? Only get Jack Kennedy elected president of the United States. Frank set up a meeting with his buddy, Sam Giancana, a powerful mob boss in Chicago. Giancana had a house in, you guessed it, Palm Springs. He loved golf. He and Frank met on the course. Jack Kennedy needed to win West Virginia and Illinois to carry the election. Sam had considerable influence on the unions and was happy to help. It would just be a couple of phone calls, he shrugged. Now, historians debate the actual influence a mob had on the election, but nonetheless, Kennedy carried the states he needed and soon became the 35th president of the United States. There are four beautiful golf courses in the Palm Springs area, which might be the reason it is becoming the winter golf capital of America, and probably one reason the president chooses Palm Springs for his winter vacation. And on the links, as everywhere else, you frequently run into well-known faces, like Gummo, one of the famous Four Marx Brothers. Kennedy had always loved the desert for the same reason that all stars and fellow philanderers and revelers did. In fact, his first trip to Palm Springs as president had a very on-brand agenda. It was to hook up with Marilyn Monroe. This was something he'd been dreaming about for years. The stars had aligned in 1961. His wife was out of the country on a goodwill tour of India. He had the perfect cover story, meeting with President Eisenhower, who resided in the desert as well. They were to discuss the Bay of Pigs, and Kennedy had another ace up his sleeve. His buddy, the mayor of Palm Springs, Frank Sinatra, 
was there to make it all happen. Unfortunately, the president ran into some hiccups on the itinerary. This managed to destroy his friendship with Sinatra. JFK's brother, Robert Kennedy, had become weary of his brother's perceived relationships and entanglements in the mob. His brother was actually rumored to be caught in a love triangle with mob boss Sam Giancana. Yeah, the same guy that may have won him the election. The girl in the middle was actress Judith Campbell. Sinatra had apparently played matchmaker to both of his buddies with the same girl. Not caring for any more unwanted rumors or associations with nefarious characters, Rob forbid his brother from staying with Sinatra in his Palm Springs estate. He would have to settle for staying at Bob Hope's house. No huge deal for JFK, since he had only one thing on his mind. But when Sinatra found out, he went berserk, as he was known to do. He spent a small fortune preparing his estate to accommodate a sitting president. He even installed a helipad for Marine One. No longer offered the same access to Kennedy, Sinatra decided to shoot the messenger. Kennedy's brother-in-law, Rat Packer Peter Lawford, got the brunt of Sinatra's fury. The King of Palm Springs gives as well as takes away. Peter was banned from the Rat Pack. Lawford would later divorce his wife and continue to spiral down a dark path of drug and alcohol addiction. The Desert Sun once reported that when asked about the best time in his life, Lawford said, The Rat Pack, by far. It was the high of highs. It was the best I ever felt. I was in my prime. How many people get to work with their friends, party with their friends, and spend the nights in a hotel and swim with their friends and just have fun all the time? While JFK's visit to Palm Springs permanently fractured his relationship with Sinatra, apparently he was able to accomplish his primary objective. Historians and gossip columnists have scrutinized every potential opportunity the president and Marilyn Monroe may have had to consummate their affair. This weekend in Palm Springs is the most plausible, and the house that the deed was apparently done is now forever marked with fame. The very bedroom the tryst likely occurred is now called the JFK Wing. Unfortunately, neither Kennedy nor Monroe had much longer to live. Even the refuge of the desert hideaway, Marilyn couldn't escape her demons. JFK unknowingly had a date with destiny in Dallas, Texas. Whether it's an overdose, old age, weight issues, or a bullet to the back of the head, all of our legends and heroes eventually die. Their stories and the walls that witness these infamous and legendary parties are all that remain. The Alexander's crown jewel, the House of Tomorrow, is now called the Elvis Honeymoon Hideaway. Daily tours are given, and Elvis worshippers from across the globe make the pilgrimage here and leave trinkets of their favorite memorabilia for the king. The Sinatra estate, the Twin Palms, can be rented for private events where you can dance and croon with the ghost of Palm Springs past. There's a crack in the sink in the bathroom of the Twin Palms, allegedly coming from the time he chucked a champagne bottle at his wife. She was fellow joyrider Ava Gardner. Shocking that their relationship would begin in such a volatile way would also end in the same manner. Now that you have a little bit of the history of the stars and builders that put Palm Springs on the map, We'll finish up with the Palm Springs of today. If you think that Hollywood's leading men and fellow womanizers were the only ones that let loose in Palm Springs, you'd be very, very wrong. Inclusivity 
has become the mantra of Palm Springs, and it began during the very same Rat Pack years. Another Hollywood titan who put Palm Springs on the map and whose legend looms large over the town is Dinah Shore. The female Bing Crosby of the 1950s and 60s, Dinah Shore could sing, dance, and act. She had charisma for days and was a pure entertainer to the core. Raised at the famous Grand Old Opry in Nashville before headlining in New York and eventually California, Dinah continued to stay relevant through the years by adapting to whatever the public was into at the time. She hosted variety shows and eventually talk shows. If that weren't enough talent for one person, she was an avid golfer and tennis player. It never sat quite right with her that her male buddies in Hollywood, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, would host popular and successful golf tournaments for men, and the women never got any love. She founded her own tournament in 1972. Women, especially gay women, began to mark their calendar for a Palm Springs retreat that coincided with this annual tournament. It became known as the Dinah Shore Weekend, or the Dinah. Today it has evolved into a music and arts festival considered the largest lesbian event in the country and even the world. Five days of pool parties, live concerts, comedy shows, and other entertainment. Over 15,000 participants from all over the world descend into Palm Springs to continue the time-honored tradition of revelry and relaxation under the desert sun. All for a good cause as well, as it raises money for human rights campaigns and AIDS research. Whether to escape the bright lights of Hollywood, the hustle and bustle of everyday life, or even to escape the feeling of not belonging, the desert has welcomed them all. It has reflected America for most of its history and shown the ability to reimagine itself over time. When the post-World War II economy surged along with the population, Palm Springs offered second homes and a place to vacation. The past is alive and reimagined in Palm Springs. The playground of the Rat Pack Swingers now houses the New Age hipsters of Coachella. Even the architecture, cheap and discarded by elites and critics at the time, has had its own renaissance and is now celebrated the world over. It just goes to show, if you age gracefully enough, you become timeless. Special thanks to the production team of Van Vorst Films, who produce and edit this podcast. My sources for the material of this episode come from a few books and articles. Palm Springs Confidential by Howard Johns. And of all the gin joints, Stumbling Through Hollywood History by Mark Bailey and Edward Hemingway. The two main articles used are by Mary Ann Pinkston from the Desert Sun called It's an Alexander, and several articles from the Eichler Network. Make sure to check out the show notes for all the sources we used for the episode. Until next time, thank you for joining us tonight, and hopefully we'll see you in the future.